So to jump into this morning, um, you know, there, there's some questions I want to pose to you uh, this morning and see if they matter to you. Um, do you want to know your purpose in this life? Most people are pretty concerned with that. They want to know why they exist. They want to know what should occupy their days. They want to know what their future should be aimed at. Do you want to live a good life, a life of good quality, a life that is one that you could be proud of? Um, do you want to have confidence in who you are? Like thinking that you're here on purpose and you're, you are the way you are on purpose. Um, do you want to know God? Not just know about God, but to know the living creator, good God. Do you want to know him? So, oh, excuse me, over the next three weeks, we'll be looking at um, some spiritual disciplines. Um, and this week, we're looking at the spiritual discipline of the study of God's word. And if any of those questions are a concern to you, then the spiritual discipline of study is, is one that is most essential. Um, and so we're going to dig into that today, but before we go any further, I want to pray. Um, God, I, I just surrender to you this morning. God, I, I feel uh, a little bit of fatigue in my brain and body, and so Lord, I just pray, Lord, for you to strengthen, but most importantly, uh, I know that if anything good occurs in here, it's always beyond my strength. And so, Lord, we just confess our need for you. Lord, I pray right now that you would help me just to step out of the way. Lord, for your word to be made known. Lord, your transforming truth or the reality of, of, of who you are, who you created us to be, what our, what our life is in you and Christ. Lord, that, that it would all, Lord, just be made more clear right now. And that it would just be a part of us continually to, um, to, just continue, to continue in this journey of, of faith, journey of spirituality, journey of understanding, Lord, and that at the end of the day, we would see, Lord, your goodness. We would see your glory. We would see your grace through Jesus, Lord, the, the word become flesh. And so, Lord, we surrender this time to you. Lord, I pray that you would take these words and by the work of your Holy Spirit, catch them aflame in our hearts and, Lord, bring your fruit, Lord, your, the work of your hands to this world through our lives. So, God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we jump in, a couple of words to help us out, a couple of things. First off, we'll be jumping around a lot of text today. Um, and so it might be easiest for you just to follow along on the screens. We also use the YouVersion Bible app. And if you have that, just click on the More tab, then click on Events, and then we'll pop up thanks to GPS. And then all of the scripture we're using is in there, um, as well as a couple of other things and some announcements for your convenience. Um, and then also, even though it might be hard to follow along today, if you don't have a Bible or if you just want to do Bible drill and try to keep up, there is a Bible near you. And you can use that. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that with you. That's our gift to you. So, but yeah, we'll be jumping around a lot today. So just uh, might be easiest just to track along. But, it, you know, we, we actually started teaching the spiritual disciplines last summer, last June. And we were way over optimistic of what we thought we could do in four weeks. I thought we were going to do an introduction and then a look at the categorical, in, the, the inward disciplines. And then the, the, the third week would be the outward disciplines. And then the fourth week would be the, the, the communal congregational disciplines. And we made it through two disciplines and that was it. So 
Um, so we're going to just continue. So we'll do three weeks now, and then we'll come back in the middle of the summer and do four more weeks of spiritual disciplines. So, so real quickly, just fundamentally to define what a spiritual discipline is to review a lot of what we did last summer, a spiritual discipline is shown to be anything that is an effort to take appropriate measure to grow in godliness and deny our life of flesh that leads us away from God and our identity in Christ. Spiritual discipline is anything that is an effort, a, a, you know, intentional effort that we put out to take appropriate measure to grow in godliness and deny our life of flesh that leads us away from God and our identity in Christ. And really latch on to our identity in Christ. Like these spiritual disciplines that we're talking about, I really want us to anchor on for all of these weeks and for all time that really what we're doing is we're learning to live out who we are as Christ has made us to be. We're leaning into to living out this work of righteousness in us through Jesus. And so we're not attaining anything. And so we've said this before a lot. You see the word effort here. God is not against our effort. He actually calls us to effort. He is just against us thinking that somehow we earn our right standing, that somehow we earn our salvation, that somehow we earn his favor. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because you are his, and this is the opportunity for us to continue to grow in who he created us to be as he restored us to be in Jesus. So really latch on to that. Really make sure that's the filter in which you kind of apply this and hear this, because otherwise we'll be just putting some some moral behavior in front of us, and it is the antithesis of what it's meant to be. So, the, so to be clear, the disciplines, as we, as we work through them, which we looked at prayer and fasting last summer, and, um, and so if you want to hear about those, the, they were back in June, you can look at our podcast or our website or our app, and they're there, I think. Not they're there, I know they are, I, but you can find them. But the disciplines, to be clear, they, they don't save us. They don't save us, and they don't actually do the work of transforming us. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus is the one who can save us. He is the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. He is the truth. And so only he can save us. It is the work of Christ in us that transforms us. But these disciplines, they act as guides to that work. And so we, we talked about this last year. And to point out three things that spiritual disciplines do for us is one, they, they guide us to deeper intimacy with God. They guide us to grow in Christ-likeness, and they guide us to greater victory and freedom from sin. Deeper intimacy with God, to, to grow in Christ-likeness, and to grow in greater victory and freedom from sin that just trips us up. And if you want to hear more about those, that was the first sermon of the series last year in June. So go back and listen to that if you want to hear more about that. And then some just kind of categorical things to help us as we work through this. We see that the spiritual disciplines, they, they have kind of a trajectory and a space they occupy to work. We see that, as I just said, there's this inward work and outward work and a communal or congregational work. And in the inward disciplines, these are individual pursuits that, pri that are primarily oriented toward personal attitude change and developing the inward reality of a transformed person. The work of God transforming our hearts, 
right? That continued work is, a, to use a biblical word, uh, sanctification. We are set apart in Christ upon salvation, but then we are continually being set apart as we are made more uh, into his likeness. So then there's the outward disciplines. The outward disciplines, these are individual pr- pursuits that are primarily oriented toward personal behavioral change. The outward change resulting in an outward lifestyle that reveals the manner of the Messiah to the world around us. Again, because Jesus has given us a new identity, we are just growing in the, re- the inward reality of having to, of being transformed, as well as the outward reality of our life looking more and more like Jesus as we've been made to be. And then there's the corporate or the communal disciplines, which are individual pursuits expressed and experienced as part of the body of Christ, the people of God, the family of God. And then there's two more categories that are helpful, okay? We're laying all the groundwork. From, from here forward, we're just going to put this in the U version and on our website so we don't have to go through this every week. But today I wanted us to, to re kind of invest in this. So then there's also two more categories that are helpful. There are disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. And so some disciplines are pursued by withholding or pulling away from, abstaining from certain things. So those are disciplines of abstinence, right? And then the disciplines of engagement are those that are uh, that are pursued by engaging certain actions and behaviors. So we've got inward, outward, communal, and engagement, and abstinence, all right? These are all helpful things because, again, this calls, we're talking about the action in which we are called to in this wonderful paradoxical life of faith where our salvation and our right standing before God is by faith alone, through grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And yet we also have this opportunity to offer our lives uh, once again. So it's all up to God, and yet it takes, God has invited us and called us to this willful work of our part to experience the deep riches of the realities of God. So you think about, like, we call them spiritual disciplines. I mean, disciplines are around us all the time. We, we know what it is to be disciplined. We know regular disciplines. They ex- you know, we, we exercise to get healthy, some more than others. We set an alarm to, that was a little quick joke. Um, we set it mostly at my own expense. We set an alarm to get up and, you know, and to, you know, to, to get up on time and take care of our responsibilities. And we brush our teeth to keep our teeth but also to keep our friends, right? Like, so, so like, we, we get these kind of normal disciplines of life, and we don't, we don't buck against these, but they're spiritual disciplines, and it's interesting how we actually kind of resist the thought of somehow that we have work to do because we feel like that cheapens the grace of God. But yet, you think about it, I mean, it makes sense because when we call them spiritual disciplines, we're not just pursuing the temporal outcomes of keeping my teeth for this life or my friends, but we're talking about eternal things, eternal outcomes. So if we want deep, real spiritual outcomes, then what? We need to employ spiritual means, spiritual disciplines with opportunity for that. Galatians 6, 8 points to this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So we want to sow from the Spirit. We don't live by the flesh any longer. We live by the Spirit. Therefore, we pursue spiritual means to see spiritual eternal outcomes. And remember the heart of the disciplines. We just finished 53 sermons in Romans that took two years. And one of the, I mean, kind of, you know, Romans 12, 1, you know, we kind of kept you know, referencing back to it. We can't help it. We're going to do it again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
And so to think about what it is to be a living sacrifice and presenting ourselves, again, the effort of presenting ourselves before God as a living sacrifice, again, remembering Jesus satisfied the sin offering that was demanded in the Old Testament. And if, you do, if this is new to you, um, I, I, you know, I would love to kind of follow up more and talk about kind of the, the Old Testament and the, way God, and the way in which people were redeemed before God and made worthy before God. But, but there were two kinds of sacrifices that were demanded in the Old Testament. One was a sin offering, and the other was a thank offering, right? And so because Jesus, he died on the cross, and when in doing that, he took, he took on your sin and he took on your punishment, we don't have to make sin offerings anymore. He was the eternal offering, and in his resurrection, he defeated death, so we're no longer under the penalty of our guilt of sin and death. But yet, what do we have left? We have the opportunity to bring thank offerings, offerings that are responding to our good God and saying, all I have is yours. I know this is meager, but here's the best I can give you today. And our lives are meant to be that. So again, you think about this is the heart of the disciplines is saying, God, I want to bring you the best I can today because you are good and I am yours. That's the heart of the disciplines. No more guilt, just gratefulness. Does that, like, does that, I feel like it's just kind of like floating, like let it hit right here. No more guilt, just gratefulness. Jesus did that for us. So if you're grateful, you want to show by the preparing of your offering as best you can the worth of your God in this thank offering of your life. These disciplines prepare your offering. How fun is that? Not just a bunch of rules to measure up. You can't. Jesus did that for you. It is saying, hey, here is the way in which you can actually bring what you desire. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. And notice, you are already approved. I'm hammering at home because I don't want you to go down the, the, the legalistic moralism train. Right? Like, you are approved as one who is approved. Why are you approved? Anybody say the name. Sanj, say it. Thank you. (laughs) Keep it. Jesus. Like, that's why you're approved. And so then do your best to present yourself as one who is already approved. A worker, you're active and you're pursuing, you're effort, and you're not ashamed. It's not, you're, again, you're like the, it's just the, the, the act of offering. It's not like how shiny your offering is. Man, I remember this crazy doctrine I heard growing up was like, you know, your crown, talking about the crown we get to lay at Jesus' feet, and like your righteous acts get more jewels in your crown so that your crown is more beautiful. And I'm just like, that's ridiculous. Um, and if you think that, I'm sorry. It's just like, man, like, at the end of the day, God's grace covers our offering, and it's just the act of offering. And so it's like, you know, our, 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 our righteousness is filthy rags. I mean, we think we're putting diamonds and we're just putting like dirt in our crowns, you know, whatever. I mean, if we, if we were up to us, I'm going to get on track. Um, you know, I hear when I say dirt, that like I'm, I'm, get, I'm somewhere else and not in my notes. And I got to, I'm like, oh gosh, let's, let's dial in. Um, <laughs> I'm from Georgia. It's good. So let's, so, so let's start with a foundational passage that, that calls us to relish the Word of God. Because we're talking about study. That doesn't sound like relishing, right? It doesn't sound like we're going to revel in it. But it is. So this foundational passage calls us 
to revel and relish in the Word of God as we study it. John 8, 31 and 32. Here we go. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will what? You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So once again, notice something. He's already talking to those that already are. You already are my disciples. So there's an assumed interest, and there's an assumed interest in the teaching of Jesus. Because to be a disciple is to be a what? What's one word that describes disciple? Someone take a stab at it? Who said it? Follower, 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 follower. That's right. So to, there's, so if you're a follower, you are interested in the ways and the teaching of the one you are following. And so he says, if you are disciples, and it's a, such, a, such, more of a, it's such a deeper word than just like, okay, you're my, you're, you're my teacher, it's, it's, they have totally given their whole lives to this as best as they understand at that moment. And, and they're saying, I'm all in, and they, so there's an assumed interest in the teaching of Jesus, and, and this sounds funny to say, but your faith is not just about salvation. Not just about salvation. Praise God. And our trusting in Jesus as our atoning, victorious sacrifice who conquered sin and death. We are eternally saved. We have an eternal hope. We have that reality that holds us. Prayerfully it does. But yet it's not just about that. What else is it about? It's about fellowship. It is about that he is our Savior and our Lord, and we have said, okay, I am in you, therefore I experience the riches of your grace, but I'm also with you. And so, see, so he, said, he said, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. I said, marker of, of, of who you are as a follower of me. In turn, you will know the truth. And this is that, that, that knowing, knowing, right? The knowing, knowing. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, Jesus is the truth, and it is in knowing his teaching that we actually experience this freedom. Richard Foster says this, kind of a longer quote, it'll be up there. He says, There are many faithful Christians who do not experience the deep communal life with God. This is largely because they do not give themselves to the word. They give themselves to many other good things like faithful, faithful church attendance, service of the community, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, and things of the sort. But it is abundantly clear from Jesus' teaching that part of our experiencing of freedom and a deep reality of who we are in Christ is knowing the truth. Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, Jesus is the only way to salvation. He is the way in which we can know God, that we can be in God's presence without fear because he makes us innocent. He makes us as he is the Holy One. John 14, 6 says, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in John 1, 14, we see that Jesus is the word of God become flesh. So Jesus set us free through, again, that atoning sacrifice and victory over death and resurrection, but we experience that freedom in deeper and truer and more personal ways as we grow over time through the fellowship in his word. This is why study matters. 
So, so what is the spiritual discipline of study? So thinking of all those categories, let's give you just a, a, a contained definition. So the, the spiritual discipline of the study of God's Word is it's an inward discipline. So right, it's, it's an individual work that primarily results in a heart change, an attitude change, an inward transformation, an inward discipline of engagement. That means it takes us giving ourselves to where we willfully and intentionally engage with, above all else, the written and spoken Word of God. And so you see this primary work that happens through the Word of God is inward, which is so interesting. Actually, I'm going to wait to make that point until I read this passage. Because 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, correct, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's interesting when we think of study, we think about kind of as a, we think of it as a task, and then and that it's about gaining, you know, intellectual knowledge. But it's not just a task. And I think the key here is is when when he said training in righteousness. So similar to John eight, what makes us righteous? Who Jesus? Thank you, Rebecca. Don't be afraid. Yeah, Jesus makes us righteous, right? Righteousness is what? Righteous is to be right, to be in right standing before a holy God. If you recall, one of the, the big problem is that we, the unholy ones who have sinned against God, cannot be before God, the holy one who is without sin. And there had to be a way for us to be made worthy, for him to commune with us and for us to commune with him. Jesus did that. He gave us his righteousness. And so he did that. So righteous is, is to be in right standing as you were created to be, without insecurity, without guilt, without shame, but instead made new, totally innocent, reconciled as an outcast sinner, made adopted saint, right? That's beautiful. We want that freedom. We want that sense of peace. We want to be comfortable being who we are. We need the word of God for that. Jesus has transformed us, made us new, turned our hearts to stone, to hearts of flesh. But the word is what continues to, to bring this flourishing reality of, of, of this work of Christ in us. So we need the word. We don't need it in this sense that it's just this kind of daily word of inspiration that we go and kind of crack open our fortune cookie and get our, prover our proverbial kind of shot in the arm that makes us feel good. Like we are meant to mine the word. I, I, I love this. It's like, you know, don't go digging for golden nuggets like, become a geologist and get to know the one who made the cave, right? Like, I, I love that, and I, maybe you do. Maybe I, 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 I love it. I think it's such a great imagery. But I, I, and maybe it's also because I grew up in this world where, like, you know, I mean, the Scripture was just kind of reduced to things that fit on cards. And you go, and, like, and, and you only read the, the highlighted things that someone else told you to highlight. And, uh, and I missed out on so much, there's so much more. It's the entire heart and word and truth of God. So, you know, the word of God, it is the work of God. It's the, it's the grace of God. And so, you, you know, if you want all these things, let's come to where it is. And so, you know, we come to the word for, for this deep transforming relationship, for, the, for real insight and understanding of this life in Christ and you can't have relationship without effort. Does anybody in here think you can? Like, you may coexist, but you don't have relationship without effort. 
So if you can't have a relationship without effort, and what God is is a relational God, not some removed, impersonal, ambivalent being, he is our sovereign creator God and our heavenly father who wants relationship with you and moved heaven and earth, sacrificed his own son to do that for you. Yes, we want that relationship. So we must remember um, that it's okay to put effort and we do this through pursuing uh, the word of God because it is him speaking. We must remember that the word of God is God speaking. You know, studies also not just about doctrinal purity, it is certainly important, right? It is extremely important. We need to have, if we want to be a healthy people and a healthy church, we need healthy doctrine, a healthy understanding of God's authoritative truth, right? We need that. You see that really what it's about, again, is, is transformation. It's about inward transformation that you may become complete and equipped that's, that's, a, that's, again, if it's a work from God, it's not just about your exterior. It's about you being transformed from the inside out. But it's not only inward. When we study the Word of God, we also, because it is, the, it is God speaking, the eternal creator God, we've got to think it's expressing what he knows, who he is when we study. It also helps us to see the Word, to see uh, God at work in the lives of others. It helps us understand others. Uh, God at work in the church. God at work in history. God at work in nature. It's all here. So we need this. So that's a short kind of teaser of kind of giving us a foundation of what it is. Some, some quick ideas about how we pursue this, right? How, how do we go about this transformative pursuit of God in study? Eugene Peterson, he wrote this book called Eat This Book. Um, one of the more helpful and transformative books I've read on Scripture. But he says that we should always approach the Word of God relationally and transformationally. We should always approach every reading of the Word. We should expect it to result in us understanding God more, who we are to Him, who we are, as well as result in us being changed. And so always approaching, where is that coming from? No, it's okay. I'm okay with it. I just didn't know where, I thought there was like kids hiding under a chair over here. <laughs> I was like, because it sounded like it was right there from my ears. That's awesome. Is that our kids? Do we know they're outside? Okay. <laughs> All right, good. That's exciting. <laughs> So Eugene Peterson encourages us to always, every single time, come to the Word expecting, to, expecting it to be relational even when you're reading Leviticus or Lamentations and expecting it to be transformational. Why? Because it all expresses the heart of God. So, so with that being said, the discipline of study is different than, than at the same time. It's not just, it's not just how, how it impacts you, so it's, it's more than devotional reading. Devotional reading is focused on what this means to me, what this does to me, right? It's very personally interactive. Study that we're talking about here, it is analytical. It is critical. You're coming to it seeking real conceptual understanding. You are. And so de de develop de devotion, it relishes in the word. Study digs deeply to understand. So what's important to see here is that study and devotion, they go hand in hand synergy, right? They go hand in hand, but, but it is study that will truly deepen and enliven your devotional reading of Scripture. 
It is to really understand what's going on if you really want to be impacted personally. I'll tell you, the, the plain, just 10,000-foot reading of Scripture, you can garner the bulk of, of what is there for us. But man, it's, it's interesting. It is disproportionate of what comes when you dig deeper. It's amazing. So study and devotion go hand in hand, but we do need to go into this willful analytical, critical study of Scripture. Why? Mortimer J. Adler, everybody heard of him? In his book of how to read a book, not, not the Bible, but just any book, he states that there are three intrinsic and three extrinsic rules that govern our study of reading a book. Right, And so what were those? The intrinsic works are understanding, just the what is the author saying, and then the second is interpreting, what does the author mean, and then the third is evaluation, evaluating, is the author right or wrong? You know, what do I, what do, I do with this? How do I, what do I think about this? And Adler states that people too often want to jump, and this is not the Bible, this is general reading for understanding and learning, jump, too often they jump first to, um, to evaluating before they really understand or interpret. And they end up getting it wrong. And then the extrinsic opportunities, the, the rules that kind of govern uh, learning through study, is one is experience. It's really the only, you know experience of a, this actually being bore out in life and kind of observing the world around you. It's really the only way in which we can interpret and relate to what we read. It's kind of seeing the way it, it, it jives with and interacts with the world around us. And then uh, the other, another extrinsic is other books. Other sources will solidify or correct or round out your understanding of what you're reading. And then, and then lastly, live or lively discussion, right? And it's exactly what it sounds like, discussing, discussing, discussing with others what you're learning. So that's just a guy talking about how to learn from reading a book. Now let's, and let's see how this is true of the Word of God as well, right? And if you've been around the bridge for a while, you've heard us talk about this is something called inductive Bible study, and there's three pieces to it, right? It's observation, interpretation, and an application. And in observation, we ask, what is the intent of the author to the audience of the time? What were they trying to communicate? What were they saying? And then we say an interpretation. What, you know, what, uh, what... So what needs to so so what is being communicated? What is supposed to happen with this? What did the author? What were they trying to teach the audience? And then application. Um, so now, how does this come to me today? How do I apply this to me? And in Scripture, we do the same thing. We often start with application. What do I do with this? And we actually really don't do any observation or interpretation of understanding the depths of that. And so we need to ask what the author's intent at the time will be uh, to, you know, at the time was to deepen our own understanding and to guard our understanding. And we can't know what it means for us. Without what? Without knowing what it means. So if you want to know what it means for you, you need to know what it means, and this is a means to know what it means. That was fun. I like when stuff like that happens. I didn't have that written down. Um, the, so the extrinsic rules apply really well, too. I love these. So, so the Word of God should be the lens in which we engage the world and not vice versa. We don't say, okay, the world is the authority over Scripture. Now, let me read Scripture and see if the world agrees and where it doesn't. I dismiss Scripture. We say the, world, the, the Word of God, because it is His Word of God, is our authority over the world. And when we look at the world where it doesn't agree, we say, okay, so how do we understand it if the Word of God is true? Because it is. And so we should. So the, ex, so the world around us, the Word of God, the, the Scriptures, are our lens for understanding and engaging 
the world around us, which is why one of our core values is living under biblical authority. We're talking about the authority of God's teaching in Scripture. It helps us to understand. and helps us to engage the world around us with, with humility, confidence, and integrity. Uh, I would love to be able to go into that more, but I can't. Um, and then, you know, you think about other books. God has given us uh, so many other helps, and it's not just books, other people's teaching, other people's sermons, uh, you know, commentaries, books, writing. I mean, what a blessing. And again, Scripture is always the authority over any, any external writing, and Scripture is always the best other source for Scripture before anything else. Scripture interprets Scripture. So you can always, you know, as, we're, as we're reading, you know, the book of John, you know, and you're, you have a question about something, you want to ask, does, does, does this question or my understanding agree with all of Scripture? Is it in line with the way God is, the way I see God in all of Scripture? So Scripture interprets Scripture, but then you can also lean on other books, other sermons, other helps. That's great, too. It'll help round out and guard your understanding because we are fallible people. Our understanding is fallible, and we need help. Um, and, and then, of course, that brings us to each other. Um, we are a great help to each other, too. What a rich fellowship we can have if we see that it's full of of lively discussion drenched with the transforming truth of God. You know, and not that we're like awkwardly inserting it. It's like when, when, because there is an assumed reality of investment in the teaching of Jesus that it is naturally a part of our life. And because it's changing us and transforming us and affecting how we see the world, it quite naturally works into conversations. And I think too often we get worried about, am I over-spiritualizing? Am I... Am I Am I too concerned without, with like churchy things? And the word of God, if, if it is about the heart of God, is not one of those things. Now, if you're engaging the word of God just to show what you know, then let God shut your mouth and be humbled and learn for a little while and then be transformed and then enjoy sharing that. And humility is definitely a part of study. Who, who would pursue learning from anyone unless they were humbled before that person and thought that person had something to offer? And who could learn from someone and not be humbled, right? If you learn, if you recognize that you learn and are being changed, you recognize that you had need. So what a glorious opportunity. It calls us to humility as well as cultivates humility. So if you, again, so if you see that you're having a hard time seeing a value in the Word, just pray for humility. You can't make yourself humble. You can't. It doesn't work. You can just pray and let, let the Lord do that in you. But we are a great, a great opportunity to see this. And we're not meant to be like the, you know, the Greek philosophers that just love to tickle each other's ears with the newest thought of the day. That's not what we're talking about. But it is this, this abiding, communing reality with God shared with one another. This is what we can call theology in community. Like, yes, you can be a theologian. What's theology? It is the study of God. The systematic, purposeful approach to understanding who God is. So think about that. We can like the, the, the beauty of theology and community where we get together and it just happens naturally, but we also maybe sometimes do it on purpose and just go and like chew on something that you're trying to understand. Um gosh, there's so much. I have like all this stuff dancing around. I think I might have to do a follow-up write-up or something because there's so much good stuff. But this is why our mission statement is we commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. It is Jesus that transforms. That is the promise of his work. But yet we have an opportunity to do this together. So today, that's why, that's why we put so much effort into creating uh, spaces for gathering together in faith. And you don't have to be a Christ follower to engage. This is a safe, we, we, 
we pray that we are a safe community to engage right from where you are and to ask honest questions and that we can all bring our honest questions to the word. Whoa, to the word. That's scary. Um, We can all bring our honest questions together. And because I am not your authority and you're not my authority, the word is our authority. And we get to humbly submit to the Lord as we submit to one another and bringing all of this together. What a joy. And so that's why, we, that's why we put so much effort into creating space to gather. That's why we do this. That's why we do transformation groups. That's why we call our people to what we call huddles, which is just kind of one-on-one, one-on-two relationships of getting more specific and, and kind of invested in each other. That's why we also just try to leave space. That's why we don't do a bunch of programming. We try to leave space for you to be able to be in life with others. That's why, because it matters. And if you think that you've got some kind of richness of faith when you're living out there isolated, you are missing out, I promise you. You're missing out. So please, as Megan said earlier, engage today. We're about to take a break from our official groups, but people will be gathering. We'll be doing Thursday nights. Please come to Thursday nights. We'll be praying together still. Um, If you're on our emails, actually read them when they come out. If you're not on our emails get on our emails. We can fill fill out a contact card and say, email me. Um, So again, we we, want to let you know, and that's, we've tried to build our whole life around Acts 2.42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what we try to center our life on, to that kind of shared fellowship. So put in some effort, invest some time into the relationship you desire most with your heavenly father, and invite each other and pace yourself. Take the next step for you. If you're not in the Word at all, start with something bite-sized. Read, read a psalm a day. Don't start with Psalm 119. It's really long. But read a psalm a day. Maybe just pick the number of today's date and start there. What's today? The fifth? Read Psalm 5. Um, and just, again, wherever you are, take the next step of going in deeper, putting in that right effort of building this relationship with your Heavenly Father. And so the purpose and the promise of this, as we kind of close down, we come to the end, you know, we we talked about the way in which spiritual disciplines are guides for us, right? They guide us to intimacy with God. They help us to grow in intimacy with God. They help us to grow in Christ's likeness, and they help us to grow in our freedom from sin. Let's quickly look at how the, the study of the Word of God does that for us as we finish. So to see how the discipline of pursuing the study of God's Word helps us to grow in intimacy with God, The Word of God is the heart and character of God, as we've already said, and it's expressed to His people and given in Christ. The Word, through the Holy Spirit, is our most direct and transformative way of relating to God. Coming back to John 8, 31 and 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's, I mean, it's all about knowing God. And everything else flows out of that. Like if you have experienced the riches of God's grace and the restored reality of being in relationship with the living God, that takes care of everything else we're worried about. That motivates everything else. We still pursue it. So we're worried about living lives that honor God, walking in obedience. What greater motivation than, again, we're talking about the, the, the love thank offering again. We're talking about world mission, engaging our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus, which is scary and hard, right? What greater motivator is there than knowing the living God and wanting others to know that, wanting others? So again, this is, this is what matters. And so it starts there, it, it resides there, 
And guess what? That is where it ends because what's our future if you are in Christ? To have eternal, unencumbered fellowship with our God. So again, like preparation. Let's prepare the offering of our life. And then uh, the spiritual discipline of, of studying the Word help, guides us to grow in Christ's likeness, which is again like where life is. It's where our peace and fulfillment is. It's where our sense of purpose is. Because it's not just being the moral man that Jesus was, but it was about being about his purpose and his unity with the Father. Study enables us to take on the mind of Christ. Romans, the second verse, uh, Romans 12, 2, says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The mind is renewed by applying it to those things that will transform it. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, family, he says brothers, but that's basically family, finally, family, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That which you have fixed your mind on will only grow in your mind. And as we give our mind to the things that are transforming and not to the things that are hindering and encumbering, we will see us growing in our intimacy with God, our Christ-likeness. The Word of God is the work of God. The Word of God is a means of God's grace for transforming us as He works in us through the Holy Spirit. Then lastly, the study of God's Word guides us to experiencing greater and greater freedom from sin. Again, we're already free from the penalty of sin. We're already free from sin as identity. In Christ, sin's no longer your identity. It is only an activity. And, and in Him, we are free from the penalty, and we, we are growing in our freedom from the control as our flesh dies in our, and we, we live more in the Spirit. So study reminds us of who we are. It reveals it reveals the will and way of God in our wayward nature and shows us how to live out the life of those who are already redeemed. Redeemed by what? The power of His Word, the work of His Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, 9-11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if you're in here and you, would, and you are a Christ follower, you've surrendered your life to Christ, don't allow yourself to be lulled to sleep thinking that you don't need this and that your, your activity is where your fulfillment comes from. Understand the necessity of fellowshipping in the word of God and get purposeful with it and share that journey with others. Um, that is where, again, this, all, all of our, our hope and richness uh, is experienced. If you are not a Christ follower, um, I want you to hear, start with knowing the living God. Start with salvation. Considering that there is one that is greater than you, that can satisfy the need of your life, that you or nothing else can. Your God, your creator, the lover of your soul, sent Jesus, his only son, to redeem you, to claim you. Start there. Yes, the Word the word can, can reveal all of these things, but as you go into the Word, that is why. So 
So start reading the book of John. If that's you, I want to invite you to that and, and share that with someone. And if you don't have anyone, I will love to do that with you. And if I can't, and you, or you don't want to do it with me, you don't know anyone else, I can help you. Can, I can help connect you with someone else that would love to walk through John with you. I want to close with this quote from a, a guy named David Watson, and he wrote this short piece called Fear No Evil, A Personal Struggle with Cancer. And this was, he wrote this right, right before the end of his battle with cancer, right before he died. Um, and so this is what he wrote. He says, I spent time chewing over the endless assurances and promises to be found in the Bible. Um, so my faith in the living God grew stronger and held me safe in his hands God's word to us, especially his word spoken by his spirit through the Bible, is the, very, is the very ingredient that feeds our faith. If we feed our souls regularly on God's word several times each day, we should become robust spiritually just as we feed on ordinary food several times a day, uh, and that makes us robust physically. Nothing is more important than hearing and obeying the word of God. Let's pray. Um, God, I, I pray that those words, those last words, nothing is more important than hearing and obeying the word of God as far as our opportunity in this life goes. And I pray that um, we would really rest in the work of Christ, that he is the one who redeems, that he is the one who saves, that it is his work that transforms us, gives us peace. But Lord, through your word, Lord, through the truth that you have given us, Lord, where we can understand who you are more, we can understand why you do what you do, we can understand who we are, what our opportunity in this life is, Lord, and we can learn how to live who you've made us to be. We can learn to experience more and more and more the deep, abiding relationship with you. Lord, I know that we all ebb and flow through these seasons of feeling like we feel you or don't feel you. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us not to feed on emotion, but to feast on your truth and fellowship with you. So I pray for each person here. For, for those that are walking, uh, that, that have surrendered their life to Christ, I pray Lord, that you would not allow us to be dulled to our need for your word and that, Lord, you would help us to grow in our understanding and our desire to, to fellowship with you and, and with one another through your word. And for those in here that don't know Christ, God, I pray that right now they would feel welcome. I pray they would feel not just welcome by us, but welcome by you. I pray that they would know that you love them. I pray they would know that you love them so much that you gave great sacrifice of your son Jesus for them. Lord, I pray that you would just um, stir the hearts or bring them to a place of freedom and surrender where they would call on Jesus, the Savior, calling, calling out in order to enter into this fellowship. So Lord, we thank you. God, we love you. We'll continue to work now as we come to a time of responding in communion. In Jesus' name. Amen.